I'm going to take just a moment tonight to say it's good to see each of you, some who are visiting with us tonight, and we're grateful for your presence. This is uh, perhaps the uh, last time, it looks like it will be, the last time mom and dad will be here, uh, this particular trip. And so uh, I want to say thank you to each of you who have made them feel so welcome. You are so good at that, and uh, we appreciate that very, very much. Uh, it's always good to have mom and dad with us, and I made this observation this afternoon as we were sitting across the table. Uh, we had lunch, you know, around our kitchen table, and then uh, Julie had some other things to do, and so the boys and mom and dad and I were sitting around and playing a game uh, around the kitchen table. And I looked across the table sitting there at my dad, and he was wearing a tie, and so was I. I come by it naturally. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Uh, I come by it naturally. We were just sitting back on a Sunday afternoon, relaxing. Uh, in our ties, and uh, we were comfortable as we could be. So uh, anyway, I just want to say it's his fault, and, um, and I come by it naturally. So uh, anyway, we had a great time. We've had a fun visit. Uh, not everyone is blessed with great parents, but I am, and uh, I'm glad that they could be with us tonight and, and with us through this week. So uh, thank you for your, making them feel so welcome again. Tonight, uh, I don't want to leave undone something that I start. You may have that about you, too, that if you start something, you really want to finish it. And I started something a couple months ago, and tonight I am aiming to finish it. Uh, we started looking at uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 a couple of months ago. I did not intend for it to be that way, but this is the way it's worked itself out. And we looked at the first three of those things that Paul describes and lists there in 1 Timothy 3.16, and tonight, I really want to finish it. I want to look at the last three. So uh, a little time has gone under the... Uh, water has gone under the bridge, and so let's uh, just do very, very little, but just a little bit of review. You remember that Paul was writing this letter to Timothy, and in verse number 14, he says, Timothy, look, these things I've written to you, though I hope to come to you shortly, but if I'm delayed, uh, I write to you so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And so, Timothy, I have written all of these things. I, I, I want to come and see you, but this is so important that I want to, to tell you these things just in case uh, I suffer some kind of delay. Well, what, what kinds of things am I talking about? Well, Timothy, I'm telling you how you need to conduct yourself as a member of, the, of God's house. As a part of God's family, I want you to know, and I want you to tell the brethren there, I want you all to know how to conduct yourself, how you should behave yourself properly. Well, what kinds of things has he talked about? Well, in chapter 1, he's talked about some moral conduct, uh, the way that they're to behave themselves, morally speaking, to be right in the eyes of God. In chapter 2, he's gone through and listed uh, ways that they are to worship properly. And so we understand that there are proper roles that he lists there in worship with men and women and the roles that they have that are right in the eyes of God. And then you get into chapter 3, beginning in verse number 1, and he's going to list qualifications of men who are going to serve as elders, qualifications of men who are going to serve as deacons. And so this is how we're going to organize ourselves properly as those who are in the family of God, the house of God, the church of the living God. And it's not many churches, there is one. And he says, this is God's church, it's his house, and his rules. 
And we talked about the fact that when I come into your house, I'm not coming in to change all of your rules. I don't have the authority to do that. It's your house, and you can set the rules in your house. And so it is with God. It's God's house. The church belongs to Him. It was purchased with the blood of Christ. God purchased the church, Acts 20 and verse 28. And so He has every right to tell us how to behave ourselves in His church, in the church, in His house. And so we need to understand that that it's His, and we need to behave ourselves properly. He says the church is the pillar and ground of truth. And so we understand that as the pillar of truth, we are that which people can see, and we are to shine forth, and we are to demonstrate and show truth as God has given it to us in His Word. As the ground of truth, we are to defend truth. We are to protect truth. And again, we are to stand firm in truth. Yes, there is such a thing as truth. It's given to us in the Word of God. Jesus would say that the Word of God is truth in John 17 and verse 17. It is truth which makes us free. John chapter 8 and verse 32. And so he says, I'm telling you this is truth, Timothy. Paul says you're a part of the household of God and you're going to behave yourself uh, by God's rules and you're going to stand as pillar, a pillar and ground of the truth. That's what the church is and that, that is what she is all about. And so then we get into verse number 16 and New King James says, without controversy. Literally, we're talking about that which is beyond dispute. Why do I want to behave myself morally? Why do I want to behave myself uh, in, in ways of worship that God has outlined? Why do I want to behave myself and organize myself the way that God has said? It all comes down to verse number 16. Here is the motivation behind everything that we do. Because without dispute, beyond dispute, great is the mystery of godliness. I preached a sermon similar to this when I was in Mexico just a couple months ago. And I said to my friend Donnie, who was serving as my translator, I said, now, that word great in the Greek is the word megos. You remember that, maybe. It's the word megos, and from megos, we get, of course, our word mega. And I said, now, how am I going to illustrate this to our brethren in that culture? How am I going to express that thought uh, in that language, in their language, in the Spanish language? And so he, he thought for a minute, and he said, you know what? And we're in a little town where we are in, in Pipiluco, but Iguala, the bigger city that we're not far from, about 45 minutes from, he says they have a store, and it's called the Mega Store. I said, okay. So I got up to preach this sermon. I preach a sermon like this. And I said, now this is the word Megas, and it's where, where this word Mega comes from. Of course, I'm speaking in English and having it translated. And I said, now, you all may be familiar with the store in Iguala. It's called the Mega Store. And I really hadn't, hadn't asked the question, but I went out on a limb. And I said, is that a big store or a little store? And thankfully, they said, that's a big store. And I said, that's exactly what God has done for our salvation. It's not little, it's big. Great is the mystery of godliness. Great. Mega. That's a word that means loud and important. That's what God has done through His Son for our salvation. 
and therefore it motivates everything that we do as members of his household, as members of his church. What has Christ done? He was manifested in the flesh. You see, he left heaven and he came down to earth. He was manifested in the flesh. He was, uh, John chapter 1 and verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory. Glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. What has Jesus done? Well, he was justified or vindicated in the Spirit. We mentioned there, talked about this, and I know it's been a while, but we talked about what the Holy Spirit did in the life of Jesus. Remember? We said the Holy Spirit was present at the conception of Jesus. Joseph was told by the angel that Mary was with child of the Holy Spirit. And so we see the Holy Spirit is present there at the conception of Jesus in the flesh. And we see the role that the Holy Spirit plays. Remember, the Holy Spirit comes upon him at his baptism. That Jesus performs all of these miracles, again, by working of God and through the Holy Spirit. And we see the Holy Spirit present throughout what he did. We see the Holy Spirit playing a part in the resurrection of Jesus. Great is what, what God has done for man's salvation. Jesus came in the flesh. The Spirit vindicates, proves to us that Jesus was God in the flesh. Number three, Paul says he was seen by angels. And again, I think it's so fascinating and interesting to see angels throughout the life of Jesus and where we find them to be present. And again, we find them present at his birth, don't we? And then we find them present as he goes throughout uh, his life. We see them present with him in the garden, following the temptation by the devil. And we see them present in the garden of Gethsemane, the night that he, before he goes to the cross. We see angels present at the tomb. And we see angels present in Acts chapter 1 when Jesus ascends back to heaven. Angels proving again who Jesus is. Angels being uh, above man, but proving to us, showing to us that there was something very special about Jesus and what he did to provide man with salvation. Great is the mystery of godliness. Great is the plan that God always had in place to bring about the salvation of man. Great is the mystery of godliness, Ephesians 3 and verse number 6, that Gentiles were to be saved. That God always had a plan to bring about the salvation of Gentiles. He was, number four and first tonight, he was preached among the Gentiles. New King James says, other translations, as Brother Tannic read a moment ago, he was preached among the nations. And what we are reminded of is something very important. That God from the beginning always had a plan to bring about our salvation. This is big. It's loud. It's important. God has always had a plan to bring about our salvation, and this, of course, was to be done through His Son. In chapter 2 and verse 4 of this same letter of 1 Timothy, you're reminded that Paul told Timothy that God desires for all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. This promise goes all the way back to chapter 12 in the book of Genesis in verse number 3. You remember that God came to Abraham and He made a promise that through His seed... All nations would be blessed. God never forgot that promise, did He? He had a plan in place before He made the promise, obviously. He knew that His Son was going to come and crush the head of Satan one day, going all the way back to the Garden of Eden. God always had a plan in place to bring about the salvation of man. But He made a promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 and verse number 3. 
through your seed, all nations are going to be blessed. Well, we see that promise extended then to the son of Abraham, Isaac. We see that promise then extended to Isaac's son, Jacob. We see that through the seed line of Judah, the son of, of Jacob, that uh, the Christ was going to come. And we see again that Jesus came through that line of Judah. Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 3. God kept His promise, didn't He? Jesus was preached among the Gentiles. We know that the Jews were God's special people, but there was coming a time in God's perfect time that Jesus was going to come and provide salvation to all men. Now, turn with me to Matthew chapter 4 and just see this play itself out. I'm not questioning your knowledge of God's Word tonight and your understanding of this plan that God put in place, but I'm reminding us tonight that we are to conduct ourselves a certain way as members of the household of God, and the foundation of all of that is what Jesus has done for our salvation. Great is what God has done for our salvation. Jesus was preached among the Gentiles. Here it is prophesied in Matthew chapter 4 and verse number 13. Jesus is beginning his ministry, and the Bible says that leaving Nazareth, verse number 13 of Matthew 4, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. The Gentiles once sitting in darkness, now have the light beginning to shine. Now Jesus is beginning His ministry, and this is ultimately going to reach its fulfillment in offering Gentiles salvation. Jesus quoting there, or uh, Matthew quoting there from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. Turn over to Luke chapter 2. In Luke chapter 2, Jesus is a baby. And by command of the law of Moses, his parents take him to the temple to provide an offering. And when Mary and Joseph enter the temple with this young baby, uh, Jesus, they are met by a prophet with the name Simeon. And Simeon immediately recognizes something special about this one, something very special about Jesus. And these are the words that we find in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse number 29. After taking him up in his arms in verse 28, 28, he blessed God in 29, saying, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Simeon gets it, doesn't he? He understands that it is God who has brought about this plan that was always in place, that through this child, this one that Simeon is now holding in his arms, through him, salvation is going to be extended to all nations. Salvation is going to be extended to the Gentiles. Now, after the cross, Jesus calls his apostles together before he ascends back to the Father. And he says, I want you now to go and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always. Now I want you to go to all nations. 
Jesus provides salvation for all nations. It doesn't matter now if you're American, Mexican, or Chinese. All have access to God's salvation through His Son. Now, Paul says to Timothy, Jesus was preached among the Gentiles. We find this in Acts chapter 8. Before we move on to the next one, I want to make this point because we're going to come right back to it. In Acts chapter 8, notice verse number 5. What, are, what is being preached? Who is being preached? In Acts chapter 8 and verse 5, after those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word, verse 5 says, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and he what? He preached Christ to them. That's what Paul says was going to happen. That's exactly what did happen. He preached Christ to them. And then I turn a page over in my copy of God's Word, maybe not you, but to chapter 8 in the book of Acts and verse number 35. And you remember Philip is told by the Holy Spirit to climb up into that chariot of that man from Africa. And in verse number 35, Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. It's a simple message, but it's the greatest. Salvation was preached to Gentiles. Jesus was preached to Gentiles. What do we need to preach today? We need to preach Jesus. Why? Because in Him alone is found our salvation. That, my friends, is mega. And we need to understand that. That's what the world needs to hear today. So Jesus came down and was manifested in the flesh. He was justified in the Spirit. He was seen by angels. He was preached among the Gentiles. Verse number, number 5 in 1 Timothy 3, 16. Next Paul says to Timothy, what was he? He was believed on in the world. He was preached among the Gentiles and people looked at the evidence of who Jesus is, of the salvation that he offers, and they responded. They responded to his salvation, the salvation offered through him. Not everyone is going to believe Jesus. Not everyone is going to come and look at the evidence and, and weigh the evidence and respond in obedience. But we find it happening, don't we, in the New Testament, after time, after time, after time. You stay there in Acts chapter 8. What happens? Verse number 5, Philip went down to Samaria and he preached Jesus to them. What's the response that we find in Acts chapter 8? Well, we find in verse number 12, when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ... Both men and women were what? Baptized. What's the next verse say? Verse 13. Then Simon himself also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed, seeing the miracles and signs which were done. Isn't it something? Jesus is preached among the Gentiles, and he is believed. Acts chapter 8, verse 35. The, uh, Philip goes into the chariot of that man from Africa sits there and he preaches to him Jesus. What happens in that story? Well, the Bible says in the next verse, they came down the road and they saw some water and the Ethiopian said to Philip, what hinders me from being baptized? What had he done? He weighed the evidence. He understood who Jesus was and the salvation extended through him. And he responded in obedience. And it's not hard, is it, to see the connection? It's not hard to see the connection in these verses. Just chapter 8 of the book of Acts. It's not hard to see the connection. They believed by the preaching of, of Jesus. They came to believe who He was and the salvation extended through His name and they responded in obedience. And obedience included what? Every time. Baptism. They responded 
in obedience. Jesus is preached and Jesus is believed. We don't need to have a big fancy message and a big and grand promotion. We simply need to preach Jesus. Salvation is extended in Jesus. I can't give it to you. And you can't give it to anyone else. Salvation is extended through the preaching of Jesus. And the power is there, isn't it? That's where the power is found. And when the evidence is weighed, when you present the gospel and you present Jesus to those who are lost in the world, you let them weigh the evidence. People will believe. That's what Paul says is going on here. Jesus is preached among the Gentiles. He is believed on in the world. And that belief includes a response. It includes obedience. It is not enough to claim to believe in Jesus without responding in obedience. I I go over a few chapters in the book of Acts to chapter 16, and maybe you're already there and you're thinking about it. You recall that when Paul Paul and Silas were in that jail in Philippi, and the jail was uh, shaken by an earthquake, and all their bonds were loosed, and the doors flew open, nobody left. The jailer supposed they did. Why wouldn't he have thought that? And he thought to kill himself. He was ready to fall on his own sword until Paul cried out, Do yourself no harm. And the man grabbed a light and he came running in. And I'm amazed at this. I love this, don't you? He didn't ask any questions. Why didn't you? Why are you still here? Why didn't you run? Sirs, what must I do to be saved? I want to be that kind of person, don't you? I just want to be that kind of preacher. I want to be that kind of Christian who would just have people come in and say, what what do I need to do to be saved? I think you have an answer for me. And certainly they did. And they said, you need to believe in Jesus Christ. And then they taught he and his family the gospel. The man and his family weighed the evidence. And they responded by being baptized that very night. You see, it's not hard to make these connections But we see that Jesus was preached among the Gentiles and he was believed on in the world. This is what God has done for man's salvation. This is what we find in Jesus Christ. And finally, Paul says, Jesus was received up in glory. Jesus was received up in glory. God was manifested in the flesh. And then Paul ends this context by saying that he was received up in glory. And what we find is that, that God came and He lived in Jesus. He came and He lived a perfect life, that He died, that He was buried, and that He rose again from the dead. And because of each of those things and culminating in His rising from the dead, you and I, well, we expect to do the same too, don't we? That's what we expect to do. This life is going to end. We're going to stop breathing. We're going to, our hearts are going to stop beating. And our physical is going to put on immortality. And as immortals, we're going to live on in one of two places for all time. Jesus was received up in glory. Weigh the evidence. Understand what we're talking about tonight, won't you? 
understand that this concerns man's salvation. Look at the evidence that's presented in the Word of God. You really don't have to look too much further than 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I know you've read this lately, but read it again. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 3, Paul says to these Christians, they needed to hear it again too, didn't they? He's speaking to Christians and he says, I delivered to you that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen by Cephas and then by the twelve. And after that He was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, Paul says he was seen by James, and then he was seen by all of the apostles, and last of all, he was seen by me as one born out of due time. Paul says, I'm not telling you have to take my word for it, but I'm giving you the evidence you need. Jesus didn't stay in the grave. He rose from the dead. You can ask over 500 brethren who saw him at once. Some of them had died, but... Most of them were still alive. That's what Paul says. See, you don't have to take my word for it. You can weigh the evidence for yourself. But friends, know this. History tells us that all but one of the apostles was martyred for the cause of Christ. And John was exiled himself, wasn't he? I wonder, why did they allow themselves to be killed for the cause of Christ if they really thought he was still in the tomb? And you know as I know, there's no way. There's no way that they all would have done it if they really didn't believe that he was alive. There's no way they all would have allowed people to kill them for the cause of Christ if they really thought that when their lives were over, they weren't going to be with him. That's why they did it. You weigh the evidence. And you know that for yourself. This is what God has done for our salvation so that we, when we leave, we can also be received up to be with Him where He is. Jesus has ascended back to the Father. He came out of that tomb. It's empty as it can be. You remember before He went to the cross, Jesus prayed this prayer to His Father. I'm going to make a point, so I want you to see it. Before he went to the cross, he prayed this prayer to his Father. And you remember it, right? In John chapter 17, verses 4 and 5. Jesus is praying to his Father and he says, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. It's as if it's already done. Jesus hadn't gone to the cross yet. But he speaks of it as if it's already finished. Father, I have come and I'm finishing the work that you sent me to do. And my desire now is to be glorified back together with you. I want to have that same relationship that we shared before the world was. You see, God left heaven and was manifested in the flesh. And now God is praying to his Father and Jesus says, Now I am anxious for that reunion. That's before the cross. Now, you go to Luke chapter 24. Immediately after the cross. Now, Jesus has raised from the dead. And you remember, he's walking down that road with a couple of disciples. And Luke records for us in Luke chapter 24 and verse number 25. Then he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his 
glory. I came to suffer these things, and then I'm going back. God was manifested in the flesh. He did what He did to accomplish man's salvation so that man could be saved, and then He was going back to glory. That was His desire. That's what He was doing. And so we turn over now to Acts chapter 1, and the culmination of all of this is found there, and you know it is, in Acts chapter 1, verse 9. And when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Jesus has ascended back to his Father. He wasn't going to do that until he accomplished the work that he was sent to do. What was the work that he was sent to do? He came to live the perfect life that he did. He came to shed his perfect blood on the cross for our sins. He was buried... And three days later, he arose from the dead and then went back so that you and I now have opportunity ourselves to die to sin, to be buried, put him to death, to rise and walk in newness of life, and to go to be where he is. That's accomplished in baptism. Believing in Jesus and responding in obedience. I want to conclude tonight with one more passage in Colossians chapter 3. Brother Lynn read a portion for for us this morning. We saw this take place. This morning we rejoice with the angels in heaven with the decision that our new brother has made today. And here we read these wonderful words of Paul in Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ... Seek those things which are above. Listen, where Christ is. Where is He? He's sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Because of what Jesus has done, You and I have the hope of going to glory. The hope of going to be with Him. To be where He is. Where is He? He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. You and I have the hope of going there. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. It's Well, it's just power packed, isn't it? There's just so much there. This is what God has done for our salvation. This is the motivation behind proper conduct in His house, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. May we never minimize, may we never minimize what God has done for our salvation. May we never grow tired of hearing the story of Jesus. May we never tire of being reminded of what God has done for our salvation. And may it never cease to motivate us to be obedient and loving in Him every day that we live. Great is what God has done for our salvation. May we never put too much stock in ourselves. 
May we never get to a point where we think we've earned it or deserve it. But may we never stop falling in our, on our knees and praising God for what He has done concerning our salvation. It's accomplished in Christ. And so tonight, Jesus has been preached. Will you believe Him? Will you believe in what He has done for you and your salvation? Will you weigh the evidence yourself tonight if you're not a Christian? And will you respond to Him in obedience? Will you come to Him and be a part, added by Him after obeying Him? Will you be added by Him to His house, to the church, the church that He purchased with His blood? Tonight, will you respond in obedience, a willingness to repent of sin in your life? Will you come to Him tonight and be buried with Him in baptism, having your sins washed away, rising to walk in newness of life? Jesus has paid the price for your salvation. Will you respond to Him in obedience? Maybe you've done that in the past, and this just hasn't meant to you what it needs to. But this just hasn't weighed on you the way it maybe ought to. And you've allowed yourself to allow other things to come in, maybe to replace your thinking of Jesus. Maybe tonight you've just not been as faithful as you need to be. The Lord's invitation is extended. His arms are open. And if we can help you in any way, then won't you please respond tonight to His invitation by coming now while together we stand and while we sing.